denied the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. And if it's possible, it was even worse than just that because this Son of God, the Messiah, was also Peter's friend. Jesus trusted Peter. Jesus needed Peter. And where was he when Jesus needed him most? Hiding, sitting out in the crowd, denying he ever knew Jesus. And Peter knew that Jesus would do this. Peter had warned him. I'm sorry, Jesus had warned Peter that he would do this. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. And still, still Jesus loved him. Still Jesus kept Peter by his side and trusted him. As Peter thought about that and remembered that amazing love and grace and mercy, it it made Peter feel worse, more depressed. Now, Peter wasn't alone. He may have blamed himself for what happened to Jesus, but all of the disciples were guilty of running and hiding and abandoning Jesus in his greatest hour of need, all except John, who somehow found the strength and courage to stand with Jesus' mother Mary as she looked up at that cross and watched her son die at the hands of Roman oppressors in league with their own religious leaders. But on that Sunday morning, all those events seemed like an eternity away. All those events of that Thursday night. Judas's betrayal there in the garden. Jesus' arrest and the mockery of a trial he endured at the high priest's house. The beatings. Standing before Pilate. Having to walk through the crowded streets of Jerusalem carrying his cross. And being nailed to that tree. Crucified and dying as the crowds looked on and mocked. Jesus. Jesus. They, they loved Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And they gave up everything to follow Him. They risked their lives and their livelihoods for Him. And now He's dead. Buried. His lifeless form wrapped in linen cloths and laid in a borrowed tomb. Certainly, this was the end. All hope was lost. And how could this have happened? It's on. No. Oh, you know what? It's not on. Is that better? All right. Thank you. Next time, just jump up and down, wave your hands. Oh, you tried that? Sorry. Well, I know how this could have happened because I make mistakes. But Peter and the disciples didn't understand how what happened to Jesus could happen. I mean, they had witnessed Jesus' power and authority. He healed the sick. The lame could walk. The blind could see, the deaf could hear, the dead could live again. Jesus fed the hungry, calmed storms, walked on water, cast out demons. 
held people's hearts captivated by his teaching. How could this have happened to him? It's no wonder the disciples were now confused, lost, and scattered like a sheep without a shepherd. What the disciples needed more than anything, but what they didn't dare hope for was a comeback. They needed a comeback. Now, when I think about comebacks, I think about sports, right? And, and so we, we've either been on a team or our favorite team has been in a place where they were so far behind, they were so down in the hole, you knew that there was no way they could win. No way they could pull off a victory. There was no comeback. As a Tennessee Volunteer fan, I'm quite familiar with that feeling. Those of us who are Braves fans, we've been there a time or two ourselves. And that's okay because... There's something compelling about rooting for the underdog, isn't there? That, that, that's exciting stuff. We all love to watch David go up against Goliath and win. I'll never forget that last second Hail Mary that Josh Dobbs passed to Juwan Jennings and he caught it and, and just with three seconds left and won against Georgia. I hang on to that day. It's such a precious day. Or for those of you that are Gamecock fans, back in 2019, that Georgia game, we're in double overtime. You won by a field goal. Now, Georgia, I'm not trying to pick on you. I really am not. But when you're talking to Tennessee and South Carolina fans, you're the Goliath, we're the Davids, okay? So, and we all love stories like that. The 1980 miracle on ice or, or when the Cubs finally won a World Series in 106 years. We love those kinds of stories. Now, to the Goliaths, those are upsets. But to the Davids, they're comebacks. And we love a comeback, whether it's in sports or movies or real life. Those rags to riches stories. People on the road to redemption. Pulling victory out of the jaws of defeat. And I think we love those stories because we all long for our own comeback stories. Maybe you've been despondent at a situation in your life and you've wondered if things will ever be the same again. You know, as a nation, we felt that way after 9-11. I think a lot of us feel that way after a year of COVID-19 and racial and political unrest. We wonder, will things ever be the same again? Maybe you've felt that sense of shock and despondency because you lost a job unexpectedly. Because you got a, a bad diagnosis from the doctor you weren't expecting. Maybe you've had to go through a divorce. Or you unexpectedly lost a loved one. If so, you can put yourself in Peter's shoes. Now, Peter was probably the most distraught of all the disciples over what was happening. And part of that was because Peter always felt things deeply. Peter was a, he had a big personality. He was a go big or go home kind of guy. He was all or nothing. He was a loud, rough-around-the-edges fisherman who often leapt before he looked and spoke before he thought. And so Peter, the most outspoken of all the disciples, was warned by Jesus that he was in the enemy's crosshairs. Satan was going to come after him. But Peter pledged to go with Jesus all the way to prison and death, if that's what it took. But Jesus told him, he said, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you knew me. Now, last Sunday, we looked at what Peter did the night Jesus was arrested. And at first, Peter jumped 
to Jesus' defense, full of adrenaline and righteousness. He, he pulled out that sword and off went the ear of that guard. But Jesus rebuked Peter, healed the man's ear, and at that moment, everyone fled, including Peter. They ran away. They abandoned Jesus. Now, Peter ended up following at a distance, and he ended up in the courtyard of the high priest where he tried to blend in, but three times somebody in that group recognized him as one of Jesus' followers and challenged him on it. And three times Peter denied he even knew Jesus, vehemently denied it. And after he heard the rooster crow, he remembered Jesus' warning and was horrified. He had done the exact opposite of what he told Jesus he would do. And he ran out into the night and wept. That's why Peter, more than any of the others, couldn't sleep. It was more than sadness. It was more than confusion or disillusionment. Peter was embarrassed. Peter was ashamed. Peter felt like the world's worst sinner and greatest failure. He was heartbroken. And he felt that way all day Friday. He felt that way all day Saturday. But then Sunday morning came. And the greatest comeback ever happened. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. I just want to briefly, we've heard it already from Mark's gospel. I want to read it again from Luke's gospel. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven, to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Shortly after that, Jesus began to make appearances to the disciples and to the others. They were still having trouble, though, reconciling their minds with all that was going on. Jesus may have appeared to them suddenly, but the reality of his resurrection was a slow realization for them. It just took them time to catch up with what was going on with Jesus. It seemed too good to be true. They even thought that maybe Jesus was a ghost, and so Jesus said, Touch me, I'm not a ghost. He sat down and ate. He said, look, I'm I'm not a ghost. I'm eating. I'm alive. Jesus was alive. He made the greatest comeback the world could even possibly imagine. But the comeback didn't end there with Jesus. Because Christ came back from the grave, those who belong to Him also can experience a comeback. And this takes us to another part of the story. Turn with me to John chapter 21. Peter and several of the disciples 
in the midst of all of this, they went back to Galilee. They needed to go and do something familiar. They needed something to help them feel rooted. So they went back to Galilee and they got in their fishing boat and they went out onto the water. And as any fisherman in here can attest to, sometimes this happens. They fished all night long, all night long and caught nothing. So early that morning as the light was beginning to come up and you could start to see you know, that, that, that sort of gray uh, dawn right there before the sun came up and, and they could barely see, somebody over on the shore said to them, Did you catch anything? And one of them, I don't know, maybe Andrew went, No, didn't catch anything. And the voice on the beach said, Try throwing on the other side, you'll catch something. Now, maybe you don't know this, but fishermen really don't like it when you tell them how to fish. But, for whatever reason, they indulged this voice. They threw the net on the other side. And the haul was so great, they couldn't lift the nets out. There were so many fish. And then Peter realized. It dawned on him. We've been here before. This is like deja vu. This has happened before. That must be Jesus on the shore. And Peter jumped into the water and immediately swam ashore to Jesus. The reality had finally set in. Jesus had come back from the grave. He was alive. This was the greatest comeback, far greater than any sports comeback you could imagine. Jesus defeated death. And because of that, he stood ready to offer Peter a comeback. He stands ready today to offer you a comeback. So let's look to John chapter 21 and discover how Jesus' comeback opens the door for all of us to have a comeback. Because listen, the enemy has us cornered. He has us in a headlock. We're in the stranglehold of death because of our sin. It's like being in the last seconds of of the fourth quarter. It's like being at the bottom of the ninth inning. And there's no hope for any of us. We're lost outside of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. John 21 shows us that because of Jesus' great comeback, there are three truths for us today. The first is, you and I can have a new beginning. We can have a new beginning because of Jesus' great comeback. You know, when God created the world, it was a perfect world. There was not a thing wrong with it. Man and woman lived in perfect fellowship with God, with one another, with the world around them. It was absolute paradise. There was no sickness, no suffering, no crying, no death, no sorrow. There was no distrust, no deceit, no wars, because there was no sin. It was a perfect world. But Adam and Eve listened to Satan's great lie that God was not to be trusted. That God was holding out on them. Think about this for a minute. God created the whole world, made Adam and Eve, put them in this garden, said you can eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except one. He literally gave them the world. But because of that one thing God said, don't eat, they decided that God was holding out on them. That they couldn't trust God. That God didn't really have their best interests at heart. He didn't really love them. And you know, in the end, why do we need God anyway? And so they took that forbidden fruit and they ate of it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Basically what Adam and Eve were saying is, God, we know better than you how to live our lives. 
And we will decide for ourselves what is good or evil, what is right or wrong. And in that moment, everything fell apart instantly. And the world's been a mess ever since. But the good news is that God had a plan even before He created the world. God knew that we would choose self over Him. God knew that we would reject His love. He knew we would take His gifts for granted. He knew that we would ruin His perfectly good world. And that's why Jesus came. He came to lay down His life for a sinful humanity who had woefully fallen short of God's original intent and purpose for us. He came to earth in flesh and blood, fully God and fully man, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus died on that cross, all of God's righteous, just anger at our sin was placed on Him. He took your sin and mine. He took your shame and mine. He took the punishment that you and I deserve, and He bore it on Himself on that cross. Now, that's hard for our 21st century American minds to grasp sometimes. But to the people of Jesus' day, to the Jewish people who had lived under this Old Testament system of sacrifices, this made sense. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied of Jesus. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah goes on to write in in verses 10 and 11, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. See, in the Old Testament, there were guilt offerings sacrifices where the animal was sacrificed up as a substitute in the place of sinners. It's the only way the people of Israel could be in the presence of a holy and just God and not be destroyed by His wrath. The animal would pay the price for their sins. Jesus told us several times in the Gospels that He came to fulfill this very law of Moses. Paul, the author of Hebrews and others, detail how the old covenant system foreshadowed the new covenant brought by Jesus. In fact, Paul writes in Colossians, these are a shadow. Talking about these sacrifices, these Old Testament offerings, they are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Whereas Hebrews 9.26 says, He appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by sacrificing Himself. Whereas Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect, spotless Sacrificial lamb. He became the once for all time substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me. 
He did it so that each and every one of us could have an opportunity at a new beginning. A new beginning. And Jesus' resurrection proves that He is the one and only who came so that we could have life eternal and abundant. It is through His resurrection alone that death and hell and sin and the grave were defeated. It is only through Christ that we can experience forgiveness of our sin and from the just judgment that our sin deserves, everlasting death and hell. It's by trusting in what Jesus has done for us already that we can experience forgiveness, new life, and a new beginning. The second thing that we can experience, the second truth that we can know because of Jesus' great comeback is that your failures are not final. You can have a new beginning and your failures are not final. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it's hard to imagine the heartache that Peter experienced after he had denied Jesus that third time. Especially when you read in Luke's gospel. Luke gives us a detail the other gospel writers didn't give us. And that's that when Peter denied Jesus that third time, he looked up and Jesus was looking at him. So apparently, where Peter was situated was such that he could see into the room where Jesus was being tried by the Sanhedrin. Peter could hear everything they were saying. Everything Jesus was saying. He could watch as they spat on his face, as they punched and slapped him. Peter saw it all. And Jesus heard Peter deny him every time. I cannot imagine a more heart-wrenching moment than to deny with a curse that you ever knew Jesus and then you look up and you see Him looking at you. Not with anger or judgment, but with pity and with compassion. Maybe that's why when Peter realized that was Jesus on the beach that morning, that he jumped into the water and he swam ashore. He had to get to Jesus. He needed to know that his failure was not final. And that brings us to John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they got to the shore, Jesus had made a fire and was roasting fish. They were going to eat breakfast together. And so... It says in verse 15, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord. You you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus that Thursday night. And three times after the resurrection, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus was giving Peter three opportunities to express his love for Jesus. And and, and I want you to pay attention to this pattern. With every one of these expressions of love, Peter gets more determined and more passionate. 
If you remember when Peter denied Jesus, he did the same thing. With each denial, he was more determined, more vehement, more impassioned. Jesus there on that Galilee beach, sitting around that fire, was healing Peter's heart. He was giving Peter an opportunity to be restored. He was saying to Peter, Peter, I know you. I know your heart. I know your failures. But I want you to know that your failures are not final. What about you? How often do you fail? If you're like me, it's every day. Ask my wife. I fail every day. Maybe for you, though, you're like, David, you don't know how I failed. I failed in a significant way. Maybe you, like Peter, think that your failure is so great, there's no coming back from it. How could Jesus ever forgive me for that? How could Jesus ever use me again after that? I'll tell you how. Psalm 116.15 tells us, The Lord is gracious and righteous and full of compassion. Or as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, Jesus understands every weakness of ours because He was tempted in every way that we are, but He did not sin. So whenever you are in need, you should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness. We will find help. Just like with Peter on the shore, Jesus wants to meet you in your failure. He doesn't ask you to get right first. He doesn't say, clean up your act and then come to me. No, we come to Him first and we receive undeserved kindness because He understands our weakness and He is a God of grace and mercy. We come to Him in our failures and instead of condemnation, we get forgiveness. Instead of death, we find life. Instead of finality, we find a new beginning. How many people in this room today are hoping for a new beginning? Maybe after the year that we've had, David, I need a fresh start. I need a a clean slate. I need a do-over. Listen, the risen Christ wants to meet you at your point of failure and heal your heart and renew His purpose for your life. Because of Christ's great comeback, we can have a new beginning. Because of Christ's great comeback, your failures are not final. And finally, because of Christ's great comeback, you can have continuous new beginnings for kingdom service. You know, without the resurrection, Peter would have wound up on the scrap heap of life. He would have ended up a washed up nobody. Because seriously, how can you recover from such a a, a, a horrible failure at such a key moment in your life I mean, that, that, you know, forget about missing the winning field goal or losing the company's, you know, biggest account or, or I don't know, you know, saying the wrong name when you're doing your wedding vows in your wedding. <laughs> this is far worse than any of that. There's no denying Peter's failure was on an epic scale. But because of the resurrection, Jesus healed him and restored him. And called him again to service in the kingdom. Because of the resurrection, Peter was empowered with a second chance to serve Jesus. Same is true for you and me. 
And in a few short days, on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, it's Peter who would stand and preach the first sermon. And 3,000 people would be saved and baptized into that church. Throughout the book of Acts, we see God continuously and mightily use Peter. And it was all a direct result of the great comeback of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the good news. If you hear nothing else than this today, here's the good news. There is more to your life than what you're probably experiencing right now. There's more to your life than whatever it is you're going through right now. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just mean that you're forgiven of your past sins or that you're redeemed from your present failures. It means that today and tomorrow you can walk in a continuous, vibrant, daily relationship with the risen Savior. He loves you. He knows you. And He wants to be with you. And He wants you to be with Him. And it's in that relationship that we get to experience new beginning after new beginning as His transforming power flows through us and helps us to carry out His kingdom purpose. I love the way Lamentations 3, 22-23 puts this. Lamentations, not exactly the kind of book you think of on Easter Sunday morning, right? But it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Listen, God doesn't ever run out of love. There's no coming up to to Him one day. It says His mercies never come to an end. There's no coming up to Him one day and saying, I need a little bit more mercy. And God says, I'm sorry, I just gave out the last one. It doesn't happen. Why? Because His mercies are new every morning. Amen? Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. And so it doesn't matter when we mess up, when we fail, when we grow cowardly like Peter and we want to run and hide. Jesus says, your failure is not final. My mercies are new every day. Every day we get a fresh start. Every day we get the opportunity of experiencing life's greatest joy. Listen, life's greatest joy isn't you know, your family as much as I love my family. I enjoy my family. That's not life's greatest joy. Life's greatest joy isn't your job and being successful or making a lot of money. That can be a wonderful thing. I love my job. Life's greatest joy is an academic success or athletic success. The greatest joy in life is knowing the risen Jesus and living out His purposes every day. That's the greatest joy in life. It's what makes all those other things worthwhile. Listen, this morning, have you tasted the fruit of the world's greatest comeback? Have you embraced your new beginning in Christ Jesus? Have you allowed Him to set you free from your failures or are you letting your failures freeze you up? Are you walking in that vibrant daily relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen, all of those things are possible for you today. Today can become the beginning of your great comeback. And the first step in that great comeback is receiving God's free gift of salvation into your life. It's believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on that cross, was buried and rose again. It's coming to Him and saying, Jesus, I need a new beginning. I've failed. I've messed up. I've been living in sin. I've been trying to do all of this in my own way. And Jesus, I come to You today believing 
that You are the Son of God and I ask You to forgive me of my sins and come and live in me. That's the first step in your own personal comeback story. And if you need to do that today, when we sing here in just a minute, I invite you to come today and just say, Pastor David, I want to come to Jesus. I need Him in my life. I'd love nothing more than to help you begin that comeback journey today. But maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already taken that first step. And you know that Jesus lives in your heart. And you've been walking in that path. But you know that first step, there's, there's a second step and a third step. And sometimes you get down to the you know, 579,000 step and you find out you've kind of started to drift a little out of the way. You've gotten, some, you've gotten distracted. Like the disciples, you've gone back to your fishing boat. You've picked up those old nets that you laid down to follow Jesus. You've returned to your old ways. And maybe the joy and the wonder of that resurrection, the power of that resurrection, has just kind of waned a little bit in your heart and mind. Listen, it's not too late. Remember, His mercies are new every morning. Maybe today Jesus is calling you. You're already a child of God. You're already a follower of Jesus, but you've just kind of been falling behind. He wants you to come back to Him today. He wants to restore you the joy of your salvation. He wants to make the reality and the power of the resurrection fresh in your life. This altar is open for you to pray. I will be standing here with love to pray with you. Whatever decision you need to make today, because He lives, because Christ is risen from the dead, He can make a difference in our lives. And what we do with Him is the most critical decision we'll ever make. Would you stand and pray with me? Jesus, thank You for enduring the wrath of God that we deserve. Thank You for taking our sin and shame upon Yourself. Thank You that the punishment that brought us peace was upon You and not us. Because if we had to stand and take that punishment, we would be destroyed for eternity in hell. But You endured it. You took it because You were sinless and perfect. You had no sin of Your own to pay for. You paid for our sin. And if there's anyone here today, anyone watching or listening right now that has never confessed and received that free gift of salvation, I pray they would do it right now. That they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt today that their destiny is eternity with you in heaven. Father, for those of us that are Christians that allow the worries of this world and the distractions and the burdens and the, and, and the, and the trials to, to just crush us and, and to press us down, Father, I pray that you would... Re- reignite in our hearts that passion and help us to renew our commitment to follow You no matter what. Lord, may we be more like John who stood fast by Your side than like Peter. All too often we're too much like Peter. Move in our hearts today, O Lord, we pray.